Welcome. This is the first Someone to Tell It To podcast, and we're so glad that you're joining us today. I'm Michael Gingrich. And I'm Tom Caden. And we are the co-founders and the co-CEOs of Someone to Tell It To, an organization that provides compassionate listening, and uh, we train other people to do the same thing. So there's always been two tracks to our organization where we do direct service uh, listening for folks who reach out and need a listening ear. And then we also have been starting to train organizations and groups and individuals in how to be a better listener because we can all be better listeners. And we are so glad that you've joined us today because we hope you'll be inspired. We hope you'll learn something. We hope you'll be motivated, especially in this world of, uh, of disconnection, to learn perhaps how to listen better, how to be more intentional about the way we interact with, with one another. We believe that that will make us all happier stronger, healthier in so many ways. I remember exactly where we were sitting. I remember the day. I remember what you said to me, Tom. I know what I want to get you for your birthday. And I said, what? And you said, a tattoo. I said, a tattoo? Yes. And this is what it would say. I'm proud of you. Yeah. So this week we were sitting across the table from someone and somebody asked us, what is the best book that you've ever read? And Michael and I didn't even have to hesitate. And the most profound book that we've read together, which was something that we've done since the start of our mission and friendship together is a book called I'm Proud of You, My Friendship with Fred Rogers. And that book, that book has just been instrumental in our journey together as friends and as nonprofit leaders in the world of listening. And that book was written by Tim Madigan, who himself had a profound friendship with Fred, Mr. Rogers. And this year has been a significant year because as many of you would know, Won't You Be My Neighbor? has now been the most watched documentary here in our country, here in the United States. And it aired on March 20th, and it has grossed over $22 million, making it the highest grossing biographical documentary of all time. And so today we are so thrilled to have Tim on our podcast as our very first guest. And this is the Someone to Tell It To podcast, and we're grateful to have you here with us. So Tim Madigan, can you tell us why you think this documentary and so many things about Fred Rogers resonate so strongly in our country today? Well, first, guys, it's such an honor to be with you and your friendship has meant so much to me over the years and uh, no one admires uh, what you're doing more than I do and I know and would have admired it more than Fred Rogers did. And, and I think the answer to your question um, speaks to, I think, why you've been so successful in what you're doing in that I think that what Fred Rogers stood for and the way he lived his life speaks to what is most true of, about us as human beings, about who we really are. And a lot of times you have to drill down to really understand that, to really uh, get at that, uh, to get beneath the surface of things. But I think who we really are, are basically compassion, love, presence, listening. And that has been those realities, those, those 
kind of transcendent eternal realities about human beings have been obscured to a large extent in our culture today uh, with all the noise, uh, with all the meanness, uh, with all the anger. And I think that the reason that documentary was so successful and the, the reason that the feature film starting with Tom Hanks is spread next, or I guess it'll be this year now, will be so successful as it's reminding us who we really are to a large extent. And I think Fred definitely called us to our heart, not only to our higher angels, but to what is most true about us as human beings. Yeah. And Tim, you've talked about how Fred has had just such a profound effect upon your life. And what is it that Fred taught you about vulnerability, especially as a man? Well, kind of the crux of the story of my friendship with him after I met him and, um, uh, 1995, in the fall of 1995, uh, through a newspaper assignment, I was a reporter, a newspaper reporter at the time, was uh, that when I met him, I was going through a very difficult time, um, suffering from depression and low self-esteem and problems in, you know, in almost every facet of my life. Although if you would have seen me from a distance, you'd think he probably was doing pretty well because I was very successful in my career and things seemed to be going well in my family life. Uh, but I was just kind of haunted by these furies, as Fred called them. And uh, after in, early in our correspondence, I wrote him a letter uh, out of desperation or inspiration or a combination of the two, I guess, and told him about all these things I was, I was going through in my life. And at the, at the heart of it was this sense that all my life I've been trying to get my father to be proud of me and never felt like I had succeeded. So in this letter I wrote to him in the early summer of 1996, I said to Fred, I have a question to ask you. Uh, would you be proud of me? And for whatever reason, I folded it up, put it in an envelope, licked the stamp and mailed it away. And the answer, of course, a few days later, July 1st, 1996, the answer was, dear Tim, the answer to your question is yes, a resounding yes. I am proud of you. I will be proud of you. I have been proud of you since first we met. And then he said, I'm deeply touched that you would care to share so much of yourself with me and look forward to hearing all that you would care to share in the future. And, then, and, and he never said anything that he didn't mean from the core of his being. So I knew that that was true. And at another point, Fred, Fred wrote to me, your trust confirms my trustworthiness. Uh, when this, in his reply, he, he said, nothing he could tell me could change my yes for you. And, and your place in this life is unique, absolutely unique. Do you know how special you really are? Uh, and then he, he would sign off for the rest of our correspondence you know, dozens of dozens of letters and emails over the years. Uh, I'm proud of your IPOI. Now, having having someone respond that way to the deepest, to my deepest pain and my deepest shame, um, can just kind of opened up a world to me. Uh, in that, you can be real. You you can be authentic, no matter how messy or how painful it might seem to be. And in fact. Fred loved to say, he used to quote Henry Nouwen, who, who wrote, what is most personal is most universal. And I interpret that to mean correctly, I think, that what is most personal to us is our pain, our shame, our anger, our fear. But that is precisely, rather than 
needing to feel ashamed of that itself. That is precisely what we have most in common with other human beings. And so it just kind of, it just kind of turned my whole notion of pain, my whole notion of life on its ear. And it's kind of put me on a journey to kind of share that, that notion of shared pain and transparency and authenticity for the last, you know, however many years it's been more than 20 now. Well, we need to say that, that we um, have modeled that particularly ever since we read your book and, and learned what Fred did for you and how he responded to you. We have told one another that we are proud of one another more times than we can ever count mm. because we, we try our very best to have a, a extremely open, vulnerable, real relationship. And there are times that we have to share our own pain and brokenness and wounds and anger and frustration, insecurity, uh, you name, you name it. And, and we, we have said more times to one another, either verbally or in writing that I'm proud of you. And those tattoos we have are a reminder of that and, and, and how we want to be models for, for people and particularly men, how to be vulnerable and open to. To say particularly for men, it really is true because I think men, there's been a lot of talk about women's issues and rightfully so and the Me Too movement, et cetera. And, and I'm very great, you know, thankful for that because it's long overdue. But the the story that's not cold in our culture is the is about the suffering of men. And I think that a big part of that suffering is that too often we are cut off from an essential part of our humanity uh, by, by not having the permission to, to have the full gamut of human emotions and not having the permission to feel weak or defeated or afraid at times. And uh, so it's driven us into all kinds of uh, very, very unhealthy and counterproductive coping mechanisms to try to kind of outrun the pain and... Uh, and, you know, so I think that you guys are at the cutting edge of a new way of doing things, which is to invite people, as particularly men, out of their isolation into, into kind of the, the, the grace of, uh, of shared humanity. And so, you know, that, you know, I think that what you're doing is really, really so important. One of the quotes I know that you resonate with that Fred would often share with you and with others as he would say that anything that's human is mentionable and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. And he would go on to say, when we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. And in so many ways, that's why Michael and I uh, started Someone to Tell It To seven years ago. And it continues to grow because as we've talked with you about previously, Tim, there's just this global epidemic, uh, we would say, of loneliness and just disconnection. Uh, maybe you could talk just a little bit about that. I think that the great tragedy of, of humanity uh, is not that we suffer because suffering is inevitable in life. And I'm not just talking about suffering when something tragic happens or, some, or something event-based, but just that I, I, some sort of an acknowledgement that every one of us have days, at least, when we wake up and we feel like we're just not 
uh, up to the task of living that were somehow that were either majorly defective or subtly defective that you know that feeling ashamed of ourselves is you know or afraid or it's just part of the human condition and so that set that to the side i think but this great tragedy is something you just referenced to and that is the loneliness because the lo- i think the loneliness results when we feel like somehow or another we are the only ones that we are somehow unique and feeling the way we feel and suffering the way we suffer we work so hard to try to conceal that suffering from one from one another even those we can trust for fear that if people really knew us, really knew how we felt, knew, really knew how we struggled, then they really wouldn't like us. Um, when it just, you know, the opposite is true. Uh, I think that if people knew, know us in, in, our, in our entirety, I mean, especially with people we can trust, we are embraced, but we're driven kind of underground and driven into that loneliness. And I think the great tragedy is not the pain, but the isolation that the pain brings. So if we can step out of that isolation, I think we've gone. We've taken major steps towards, in individual lives and and as a uh, as a species, we've taken major steps toward toward uh, curing a lot of the a lot of the issues that 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 are brought on by the fact that we're just not being truthful with one another about what life is really about. So often, people we we hear and listen to. Feel as if or think that they are the only ones who are going through a certain thing, having a certain problem. And we, one of the things we do so often is try to remind people and reassure them that their problems are so common. We're constantly telling people, you are not alone in this. Right. That we hear this story or a very similar version of this story so often. And many people are very surprised to hear that. And to know that because they think that their problems, their fears, you know, all of the insecurities and difficulties are very unique. And, and yeah, each of our own life circumstances are unique, but there, we have more in common with one another than we realize and know. And we try to remind people of that. And, and we hope that in doing that, it helps people to be more open and to realize that <laughs> the, the things that they are embarrassed about or fear or a regret or, you know, or just afraid of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so are the rest of us in so many ways. And, and that's important. Tim, I, somebody that we quote all the time also is a researcher from the University of Houston, Dr. Brene Brown. And I know that you value her writing just as much as we do. And we often show a short video clip in our training that we provide to groups and organizations uh, entitled Empathy versus Sympathy, and you can find it on YouTube. It's really powerful, mm-hmm. four-minute clip. Mm-hmm. But in that video, she talks about empathy as feeling with people. And uh, how did Fred show you empathy, and how has that shaped you as a person? Hmm. Well, one answer would be, I suppose, for instance, how he responded to uh, to what what I call the "I'm proud of you" letter. You know, it was pitch perfect. It was exactly what I needed to hear. But it, it, it's it's much deeper than that. I met him. I, I spent four days with him in the fall of 1995, and I, I visited Pittsburgh on three or four other occasions and spent extended time with him. Foundational to his human greatness, I think, is was his ability to be present to life and to all the people in it. Uh, and 
And so when you were with him, you knew that he was completely with you. He was listening. Uh, when you were with him, he wasn't, didn't have his own personal agenda. He wasn't preoccupied by something else. Uh, but you could tell that whatever it was you were saying, uh, whatever it was you were sharing, was entering him uh, into this kind of sacred space uh, of his and that he would respond from that place. It's hard to describe how, how exactly that manifests. And there's something, there's something in the molecules of the air that surrounds people who are really having that kind of interaction. And when you're sharing something, when you're sharing, some, sharing something deep and painful or personal or happy or whatever it was, and you know that it's being received in that way, it just kind of changes everything. Is it a facial expression? Is it the look in the eyes? You know, it's it's really hard to describe. But when you know that you're truly being listened to and empathized with, there's just something magical that happens, something magical and something healing that happens. And I know that that is what you provide uh, to the people to the people you work with. Can they define what it, what it is exactly that you do for them? Uh, probably not, just like I couldn't do what Fred did with me or what you guys have done for me many times over the years. For the person, for the listener, I think it takes real courage to willingly enter into that space, you know, without your armor, uh, without your defenses, kind of open your heart and, and, and enter into another person's pain. And I think that uh, it's very, it's too rare for people to want to share that stuff. But I think on the other hand, I think it's also too rare that people will want to receive that stuff because I think we're also loath to, you know, pain avoidance is kind of the national pastime or the international pastime. And so uh, we don't want to enter into another person's pain, you know, so naked like that. But I think we all have come to understand that that, that is where grace lives. That's where God lives. I think that's where that's where these that's where the magic lives. And and you know that secret uh, needs to get out there to much, many more or much more of the population. We have found to, that to be so so true that there is a sacredness when we are able to enter into someone's pain and um, struggles. It there is something, and it's indescribable the, the way that that can feel. And not that we are happy that someone is struggling or suffering, but that someone is allowing us to be part of it with them and to help them to know that they are not alone. It's hardly anything more sacred than that. I agree. As you were sharing, Tim, I was thinking back to our second book. Uh, someone to tell it to moved with compassion. And in there, we share a story where we reference your relationship with Fred. And we talk about a, a friendship that we've developed with a woman here locally in central Pennsylvania. And she's given us permission to tell her story as a way of hopefully providing some sense of healing to others. I think the, the title of the story is that I never felt like I was worth it. Mm -hmm. And her story essentially is she's lived in Hershey Park, Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And she had never been up to the Hershey Hotel or the Hershey Gardens. And we decided to take her one afternoon. Um, and that was such a powerful experience for her. And she said to us towards the end, because we had asked her, well, why has it taken you so long to make it up here? Uh, previously. And she said, I just never felt like I was worth it. Hmm. 
and we started to to ask her some more questions about that. And I remember we referenced you and your relationship with Fred, that Fred had this ability to make you feel as if you were the most important person in his life, as you had mentioned. And I remember, I think you guys had an interaction at one point where you had asked Fred, Fred, who's the most important person in your life right now? And didn't Fred respond by saying, Tim Madigan is, because that's who I'm talking to you on the telephone. And I think that that's so uh, important for all of us is that the person that we're in a conversation with is the most important person in our life at that moment. And that's how we try to model all the people to whom we listen, that we make certain that they are the most important person in our lives in that moment, in that time, and to help them to know that uh, they matter which is one of our deepest values, that every single person in this world matters, is important, is vital, that everyone has a story and everyone deserves to be heard, that their stories need to be told. And those are values that we hold very dear to our hearts and we try to uh, be those values with everyone we meet. First, First of all, you know, what, what, what this woman said, that I didn't feel like I was worth it. You know, if I was to be honest, even after all these years, and my life is so much different than it was 25 years ago, uh, that there are still days when there is this haunting sense that I'm not worth it. Or, or put it another way, I have a hard time believing for some reason that I am loved the way you guys love me, the way my family loves me, the way my other friends love me, the way Fred, there was something about something about that, that still I have to get very quiet and let it sink in for all my flaws and for all my weaknesses that I truly am worth uh, that kind of love. And I think that again, is kind of speaks to the, I think that is a universal thing. I think we all have that, you know, we all have that, those doubts, that, that, that sense of unworthiness uh, at some level. And, you know, mine has shrunk greatly, but it's, but at, at times it's still there. Um, and I, when you tell people, and again, it's speak kind of along the same line, when you tell people that your story matters and you matter, uh, that, and that you are as strange as it might seem, uh, you are the most important person in our lives right now. That's a concept that I think most people would find kind of revolutionary, almost weird, because we are so conditioned to the so conditioned to the contrary to be spoken to that way. Let's be real, uh, Fred. I had this relationship with Fred, and it was everything that you guys have said it was, but it didn't change my life. I, I mean, it didn't change my life overnight. Um, those doubts persisted, that pain persisted, and, and fortunately I've learned how to uh, grow. And, you know, growing and healing is a lifelong proposition. I don't think that, I, 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 you know, I, I will continue to grow and heal and learn more about myself until the day I die, at least I hope so. Uh, but when, you know, I, but I think that what happens is, you know, like what Fred did for me and what you do for the people you work with, is that while it might not heal them, it plants a seed. Uh, it plants a seed uh, or an idea that can take root and grow and inter introduce, you know, introduce people to the reality of who they are. Uh, and does that mean 
that's going to erase years of depression? Is that going to release years of pent up anger? Does that mean that there's going to be a Hollywood ending that's going to happen in, in the next 30 minutes? Probably not. But I think that probably what you do in a lot of, a lot of times is that you are kind of the first steps, you know, by planting that seed, you are one of the first steps for people on the journey to healing. You are telling them something that in many cases they've never really heard. And, and, and God only knows where God only knows where that can lead. Like I said, it, it's going to sound absolutely weird uh, when they hear it for the first time, people are probably going to be skeptical, but when that seed is planted, I think it can never be unplanted. And, and I think that while it's never going to, that's never going to be always the case. I think that is the first step in a journey towards healing and, and towards greater peace and authenticity in life. We agree with all of that, Tim. We need to hear it constantly. We need to hear it over and over and over again. We need to tell those we know and love that we are proud of them, that they, that they are worth it, that they matter, and that we love them. And that's something that, uh, you know, quite honestly, Tom and I tell one another that every day every single day. And we tell that to our families, our children, our wives. And we, in so many of the people to whom we listen, we remind them of that as well. This is kind of a humorous story, Tim, and you'll hopefully appreciate it. Um, we yesterday were with our board chair for someone to tell it to. And our relationship, essentially, like our relationship, Michael and I started out of brokenness. And we had been asked as we get to do often to speak at a, at a large group of men. And it was a Saturday morning and we, we went to this restaurant and had the opportunity to tell our story. And afterwards we, as we often do, gave the group an opportunity to do some Q and A. And one of the men sitting in the back of the room who had kind of a smirk on his face and you could tell he just was not happy to be there, uh, which was unfortunate. And he at the end uh, stood up and he said, so, so essentially, why would anybody need what you're providing? And um, he said, do, do, do men really need grace and authenticity and compassion? Why would men reach out to you? And uh, I tend to be one who's a little bit maybe more inclined to, to, to be sharp than My Michael. And so I nudged him and I said, I, I'd like to respond to this one. And so I kind of gave him uh, you know, an honest answer that we strongly disagree uh, because we, we have found that men really do need to have someone to tell it to. I mean, the name of our organization is someone to tell it to uh, because it came from an Australian author who said that someone to tell it to is one of the fundamental needs of human beings. And yeah, we were just curious what your thoughts are, are on authenticity and especially as men and and why maybe that is starting to shift in our culture and in our world today. That's a large question, isn't it? Um, well, we have just been so condi so conditioned from very early age that that maleness, that manhood looked a certain way, right? Uh, and when I grew up, it was John Wayne. Um, it was stoic. Uh, be tough, power through, you know, that whole thing. Uh, and uh, so what happens 
if uh, when you're growing up, you're not John Wayne or you don't feel like John Wayne, like me. I was more, I would much rather be home with a book than, or at least in my early childhood, than out playing, throwing rocks with the other guys. And I, you know, and I think that later on, I kind of grew into things and I became an athlete and I had a, kind of an outlet for, for some expression of some other things, but that part of me uh, kind of remained. You know, and I think that that is true for all of us or so many of us. So what do we do with that? What do we do if we feel, what do we do if we feel like we cannot express that part of that part of ourselves? Where does, where does that go? You know, I think that that is, that is uh, alcoholism. That is sex addiction. That is work, uh, workaholism. You know, you name it. Because that those basic human needs and that basic human pain that does not disappear, it's got to be it's got to it's got to be addressed somehow, and I think that through your work and the work of Fred Rogers and others, men slowly have kind of come to see that you can be tough and you can be soft at the same time. The two of them, the two of them are not mutually exclusive and that you can embrace the entirety of your humanity. And there are ways to deal with this stuff in ways that aren't so, aren't so destructive. Uh, but and again, it's a manhood issue. So uh, that is why it's happening. I think not only because there's a recognition of the destructiveness of some of the things we're talking about, but that there, there, is, there is an answer to it. There is an alternative to it. And that there's much more, more often now than ever, I think men are, men are being given permission uh, to be, to embrace their, the, the entirety of their humanity. And we think that's a good thing. We were, we've seen the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, three times. And each time we are saddened in, in the part where it reveals how much Fred himself was mocked and you know, made fun of, derided because of his sensitivity. Because of uh, he liked as a child, he was a little overweight and he liked music and he wasn't necessarily athletically inclined. And we believe that a lot of his sensitivity came from the fact that he understood what it was like to be made fun of, maybe not to be one of the guys, not to be accepted as quickly or as easily just because of who he was. And many people, even as, as an adult, would, would make fun of him because he, he talked about the kinds of emotions that men don't talk about very often. So we know that that's a real problem. And that's one of the things we're trying to address. And we know that that's something that you have continually addressed for the past 25 years or, or maybe more, that, that you understand that too. And it's why we resonated so much with you. Well, uh, my son paid me a great compliment over the holidays. Uh, <laughs> he said, he called me the emotions whisperer. And I, I just, I thought that, I just thought, I just thought that was great. Uh, because I think he, he, he too kind of looks at me going, what in the world is this guy coming from? But he was one of the people who, uh, who had a tremendous amount of influence on me when he was five or six or very young. We were driving down the street one day, the whole family in the car, and just out of nowhere, he's in the backseat, and just out of nowhere, he says to me, 
Dad, how come I've never seen you cry? And I remember looking at my wife and she's kind of looking at me and goes, she's saying, okay, dad, you know, talk your way out of this one. <laughs> um, and, but it was like, you know, from the mouth of babes, right? Uh, and, you know, I, that caused me to really do some soul searching and wondering myself. So a few days later, we were out at a park and I took him aside and I said, you know, Patrick, um, you asked a very good question. And it's really caused me to think a lot about it. And, and you know what I said? Uh, I don't cry nearly enough. And, I'm, you know, and I know that you are very free with your emotions. And so I'm going to try to be more like you. Um, and ironically, a few days later, he had a, had a part in the Christmas pageant where his singing just kind of reduced me to a little puddle. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. uh, but it's like you could ask that question of so many men. Uh, how come I've never seen you cry? And to me, tears are now one of the greatest gifts. I mean, I oh, just there's nothing better for me than a good cry. Uh, but another story that, uh, that that comes to mind for me is after I was giving my Mister Rogers talk at a at a at a high school, and uh, to a group of tenth graders, and and most of the kids, you know, this this stuff has the language of the heart has no age, and most of the kids were just totally into it and totally got what I was having to say. But this it was kind of triggered. This memory was triggered by this guy, you know, that you had mentioned who had these things to say. Well, anyway, there's this guy, this kid sitting in the front row, and from the moment I started speaking. He was looking, he had his arms crossed and he's leaning back his chair and he's rolling his eyes and he's just, this is the most stupid thing that I've ever, I've ever heard of in my whole life. Because he's an athlete, blah, 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 that sort of stuff. But anyway, at this, at this class, I brought five books with me and my intention was to sign, to get, to distribute them to the kids that I felt like were most engaged in what I had to say. So I handed out four of the books and then a little voice said to me, you know, Mr. Attitude, I call him Mr. Attitude needs a book. And so I handed one and he looked at me like, holy crap, what's this about? And uh, and so I said to the kids, as they're changing classes, those of you who got books, come over and I'll sign them for you. So the first four come over and I signed their books. Well, Mr. Attitude is fifth in line. But by the time he got to me, tears are running down his face. And I go, what's going on? And he said, nothing. And I said, well, looks like something's happening. Um, don't you tell me what's going on? And so he tells me the story that, you know, he's the oldest of five kids, single mom. And he said, and, and previously I'd asked the kids to close their eyes and think about someone in their life who they could share anything with. He says, well, I closed my eyes, but the, I, you know, and I thought of my mom, but not in the way he told me to. Uh, she said, I'm always just so afraid that I'm going to do something that's going to disappoint my mom. And I said, man, that's heavy. Uh, I get it. Uh, and makes perfect sense to me. And then I asked him, when was the last time you cried? And he said, never. And I wasn't out to my car when he texted me and he said, thanks for listening. And this kid, this young man now is not getting ready to graduate from college. He and I are still friends. Um, how many other men are walking around like that? How many other how many other people are walking around like that? You know, with this pain that they're carrying inside, perfectly reasonable and understandable pain that they're carrying around inside that they've never really felt permission to, to share with anyone. And once they did, 
I'm not saying this guy is a Holly, this guy is a Hollywood star either, but it just changes things. It shifts something. There is another way, you know, and, and when I, you know, the other thing I like to do, especially with kids at the end of my talks, I, I say, you know, I got a confession to make and they kind of lean forward and they say, and I say, I'm a mess. And they're going to go, oh, wow, that's cool. And, uh, and I said, but before you get too, too far down the road, I got something else that I want to tell you, and that you're a mess too. Every single last damn one of you is a mess. I, you know, and I, I said, there's, there's another word for mess. And uh, who can tell me what it is? And eventually they come up with what I think is the right answer, and that is human. The good news is, is that we don't have to be messes alone. That is kind of one of my mottos is we're all messes, but we don't have to be messes alone. We know that that's something that's really important to you. And that some obviously is important to us as well. And that's something that Fred modeled to you and your relationship together. And that just uh, makes us wonder, do you think Fred's re legacy is actually stronger now than it was even when he was leading the kids program? It's hard to say if it's stronger now but it definitely lives. It's kind of like where we, I think where we started, he speaks to in a, in a way that is unique in history. I think he speaks to uh, the way, you know, the truth of us as human beings. I also think that timing of the documentary uh, this year, and the, I guess the documentary was last year, I forget that we're in 2019, and the, and the feature film this year, I mean, it, it's absolutely perfect. I mean, it's that itself is kind of divinely inspired. I think that these these things would be happening at this moment in history because uh, I just quit watching the news. <laughs> just it's just too hard to take. It's just too corrosive to the spirit. And and you know, and again, I believe like as you do that that's not who we really are. Fred can use this kind of popular culture, mass media thing that has just kind of devoured us in the last generation. He wanted to use his television program as, as a means to kind of counteract some of the more destructive tendencies of our culture. And I think that that is something that's really going to happen in the fall when that movie comes out. Everything we've talked about here today is is pretty heavy duty. Uh, and we know that you love to laugh as we love to laugh. Um, we take life seriously as you do. But we also love to tell stories that lighten the mood, uh, especially when life is hard for all of us. Are there any stories that maybe people listening today might not know about Fred and even in your relationship together that they might laugh about? <laughs> the movie that's coming out in the fall is based on an, an Esquire article in Esquire magazine uh, written by a guy named, by the name of Tom Juno. And uh, I actually read when I was visiting, read in Fred's guest room when I was visiting him one time about the time that the article was released and there's a there's a scene fred was in new york <laughs> and uh filming an episode in penn station or something like that so he's in full mr rogers regalia the sweater doc tennis shoes and whatever it was and he gets out of this gets out of his cab and he's recognized and all of a sudden he's just mobbed by the crowd and you know this it tended to happen wherever he went. But anyway, standing on the, and uh, how Tom heard this, but standing on the outskirts of, of, this, uh, of this crowd were these two Jamokes from you know, New York. And one of them says, and I'm going to sanitize the language here, 
But uh, one of them says, I'm buying a bloody lottery ticket today. And the guy says, oh, yeah, why is that? And the other guy says, because that's Mr. Freaking Rogers. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, so, and so the next morning at breakfast, Fred asked me what I thought of the article. And I thought that, you know, and I said, well, it's certainly, certainly unlike anything I've ever seen written about you, that's for sure. And there's another scene in there where Fred is going out to, to the family plot in the cemetery in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He sneaks behind a tree and relieves himself, which I yeah. you know, didn't expect Mr. Rogers to do. <laughs> at breakfast, he leans over to me and he, and he use, actually uses the word, which is jeering, but he says, can you believe it, Tim? Mr. Freaking Rogers. And I was like, <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, you know, the other the other thing, I guess uh, he was a real human being. Uh, mm. uh, he had his own concerns. Uh, he was not impervious to uh, the sorrows and pains of his own life uh uh yeah you know so he was the he was the full thing three-dimensional and and uh but however i will say that you know uh, the three of us uh you know have had a lot of fun together over the years and i think one of the byproducts of authenticity is joy uh and, you know, some of the shenanigans we pulled over the years is probably the subject for another podcast, but I'll leave that for another time. Uh, but when Fred and I were together, he wanted to use that time to talk about the, the, the real stuff. He didn't want to talk about the Steelers. He didn't want to talk about the weather. He wanted to talk about what was going on in my heart, and I wanted to hear about what was going on in his. Uh, but with that said, you know, I... I form my own rock band. I climb mountains. I uh, hang out with you guys. We laugh a lot, and I think a lot of that is is as a result of just kind of finding a different way to deal with uh, my insides. And I I think that it's really important to point that out. We're not talking about unnecessarily dwelling on the wall of life. We're talking about there's a pathway towards joy. This is the pathway towards joy. And I think that that, that is something that deserves to be reinforced at, you know, every time we can. Is there one last thing you, you would like to share about Fred, something about him that, that all of us can take with us as we leave this podcast? You know, to know about living life a little bit better, a little bit more joyful, a little bit less alone. Anything you'd like to share? Maybe the, one of the most important things about this to say is that I had the kind of otherworldly opportunity to have that relationship with him and to be the beneficiary of all the wonderful things that we've been talking about for the last several minutes. And to, to have the opportunity to have to know human greatness at that level. But I think what's really important is to know that we all have Fred Rogers types in our lives. You are him for me. And you have each other and other people uh, that there are always there, you know, and it may, for some people, unfortunately, it might take some thinking to try to identify who they are. But I could probably name 100 people right off the top of my head that for whom I could go to and say, this is what's really going on with me. I think that we need to take his message, his example, and realize that what happened with me and 
what happens between the three of us is possible for everyone. It just takes the courage to identify the people in our lives that we can trust and take off our masks. And when other people take off their masks with us, that we have the ability and the courage to listen uh, in the ways that you guys listen to other people. Um, and so that I think is, I think is a very hopeful message. It didn't begin and end with Fred Rogers. It lives on with you guys and it lives on with all people who are committed to expressing the human heart in, in the ways that, that the human heart really exists. Yeah, we'll leave you, our, our listeners today, with a, another quote by Fred. And he would often say that listening is where love begins, listening to ourselves and then to our neighbors. Couldn't agree more. So Tim Madigan, we want to thank you for sharing with us and with our listeners today. We want to thank you for being our friend, and we want you to know that we are proud of you, mm. that we love you, and that you have brought joy and, and brightness and, and goodness into our lives, and we appreciate that so much. And we know you're doing that with so many other people as well. So we're grateful that you were with us today. Just wish you so many good days ahead in this new year. I just want you to know that on those days when I feel like I'm not worth it, I think about you too. <laughs> and I think about <laughs> you too. And, you, and, 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 and I think to myself, those two guys aren't stupid. You know, there must be something about me that's okay. So you know, I, do. <laughs> I, 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 tre I treasure you both and... Uh, and it's one of my great joys to watch all the successes uh, that you're having. Thank you. Thanks Thank for being on. Thank you so on. much. We just wanted to thank all of you for tuning in today. This is our first ever Someone to Tell It To podcast, and we look forward to you joining us in the future. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about our nonprofit, Someone to Tell It To, you can go to our website, which is someonetotellitto.org. Again, thank you so much for joining with us. We appreciate your interest. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you have learned something. And we'll want to take that something with you wherever you go. Thank you.